before we start the show, I'd just like to take a little minute of your time to thank everyone, especially our followers on the RetroTube Twitter account, uh, for all of your support over the last few months while we haven't been recording. As you may or may not know, I've had a particularly difficult time for a number of reasons, from worsening health to a very painful breakup, but most notably the fact that I lost my dad at the end of January following a very brave, very long battle with Covid. Suffice to say it's been a particularly dark time in my life. However, all of your messages of support have really kept me going and have made me smile at a time when smiles haven't been in plentiful supply. Thank you so much. Every single person who has listened in, followed us on Twitter, emailed us, tweeted messages of support and just generally been there in a time when I've really needed it. I can't tell you how much it means and although thank you feels a little trite, I do mean it from the bottom of my heart. Adam and I are so grateful to all of you and we hope that you will continue to enjoy our silly musings over our favourite television shows as I am very relieved to announce that normal service has finally resumed. everybody and welcome to RetroTube, the show where two best friends from various ends of the geekery spectrum take it upon ourselves to bombard each other with our favourite shows of the 60s to 80s. After an extended hiatus, it's my turn to introduce one of my favourite comedy shows of all time, starring a tiny grumpy little man who had a penchant for Homburg hats. That's right kids, it's time for Tony Hancock in... BBC Television presents... Hancock. Hancock is the follow-on to the TV version of Hancock's Half Hour, which ran from 1956 to 1960. Hancock ran for six episodes in 1961 and follows the adventures of actor and performer Anthony Aloysius Sinjin Hancock. This is technically series seven of Hancock's Half Hour, but for the seventh and final series, Sid James was axed from the role he had played opposite Tony for many years due to Tony's fear that they would be labelled as a comedy duo which wasn't what Tony wanted from his career at all. This series also marks his final collaboration with writers Ray Galton and Alan Simpson, who were also responsible for the classic British sitcom Steptoe and Son. Although this standalone series as a whole isn't as well known as the radio and television series of Hancock's Half Hour, it justly boasts Galton and Simpson's two most famous episodes, The Blood Donor and The Radio Ham. Tony Hancock, Birmingham's finest export, has been a comedy hero of mine for many years, but Adam... What was your previous knowledge or preconceptions of the show? And did you enjoy the episodes we watched tonight? So I used to watch this uh, with my mum years and years ago, in the early 80s probably. There used to be a lot of old black and white films and TV. We used to watch the Will Hay, Moore Marriott films. They were great fun. They did show, I think, the the blood donor again in the mid-80s I think it was for the 50th anniversary of the BBC. So I probably haven't actually watched Hancock since the mid-80s. So obviously I'm very familiar with him. as a, He's he's very iconic. And uh, you and me both love the goons. We do. I had in my head that out of curiosity, I'd listened to the radio episodes of Hancock where Harry Seacombe had deputised for Tony. Oh. And I had it in my memory that I'd listened to these. And then when I looked them up again to listen to them again, it turned out that they didn't exist anymore. And I must have just imagined that I'd actually listened to them. Wow. I could so vividly imagine Harry Seacombe doing... Because they're quite a similar sort of... They're almost like yin and yang opposites. Yeah. They've got quite a similar persona, but one's very jolly and light and the other's quite dark and grumpy. Yeah, which one's which? But they have quite a similar energy. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have said that was my last uh, experience of Hancock, but it wasn't. I, I just imagined right. them. I imagined them very hard. To answer your second question, yes, I did enjoy them. Oh, thank goodness for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's Tony Hancock, isn't it? Well, we watched three episodes. We watched um, The Bedsitter, Bowman's and The Blood Donor, so only ones beginning with B. I think I particularly like this first episode, The Bedsitter, because I really yes. appreciated the fact that it was so minimalist and it yes. seemed quite modern. It's 1961, but it seemed very modern 
because it is just a man in his flat doing nothing. He's bored. He is. He is. This is my favourite episode of Hancock, Hancock's Half Hour. Of It's possibly one of my favourite episodes, at least top five of my favourite episodes of comedy. Wow. Just ever. I think it's a masterclass in comedy writing and comedy acting. Tony Hancock's timing is immaculate. Um, watching it, who hasn't done all of those things? <laughs> <laughs> when you're on your own and you're bored <laughs> and you're talking to yourself, you pre- you're pretending to be a ventriloquist. <laughs> you're doing the thing with your feet. Everybody's done that. Everybody's <laughs> done that. It, it's just, and that's, that's why it's so funny, because it's like, oh, no, I really do look that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, I've never had been on a date with anybody in uh, leopard skin tights either. So <laughs> no, and a green, a green sweater. It sounded quite something. That's, that's yes, that was my thought. That sounds. That's an outfit. <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. That <laughs> they were my the words exactly that came into my brain. <laughs> it's probably the first one of those capsule episodes. I think you'd call them now, where it is the performer, and it's no real. There's no real plot. It is just, and I know One Foot in the Grave did at least one of them. And I wonder if this is one of the first instances of that actually happening, or the very first instance of that happening. And I wonder if Tony is, or if this character of Tony Hancock is the first instance of that British sitcom staple of the downtrodden small man with ideas above his station, or lofty ideals, who's ground down essentially by his own awful personality yeah and that's what's holding him back in life so he has all these ambitions and he wants to be great and he wants to be more than he is but he has such a an awful objectionable personality so you see it in like mannering and father ted and uh, all these and victor meldrew to a certain extent and all these other classic sitcom characters but i wonder if he is the first i think he probably is because i think I think essentially Hancock's Half Hour is is regarded as the first classic British sitcom, like the the first instance of it. I, I think all all characters of that ilk, the Basil Faulties and the Dell Boys and the mm. whoever's, they all come from Anthony Aloysius. It struck me that he has a very modern acting style. So I think there is a definite early sixties acting style that we see in a lot of the other guest cast, and we see in. Uh, our joint favourite film, A Hard Day's Night, which we mention every opportunity. But you, yes. you can see there's a particular comedy acting style that they had. All right, Sammy Jim, this is all going to be quite painless. Don't breathe on me, Adrian. And Tony Hancock doesn't do it. He is very, no. very modern and he is so human. He comes across as very, and particularly when he is monologuing, when he's not interacting with other people, he's just he is very identifiable as a, a real person rather than this sort of caricature of early 60s person. Oh, me nightlight. Oh, good, I've been looking for that. <laughs> now then, ointment, ointment, ointment. Ointment. Pills. Of course, I'd have been looking for pills while I'd have found them as ointment. It was my luck. Blue and yellow, what are they for? My allergy. No, those are blue and white. Who gave them to me? That Indian doctor. What was his name? Peter Sellers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I don't think there was any, and I think a lot of um, a lot of his contemporaries and a lot of of writers as well would say there was nobody nobody like Tony Hancock doing the things that Tony Hancock was doing as a comedy actor. You know, uh, he maybe wasn't the best at comedy writing, but when it came to having him in an on, in an ensemble. He was he was just the person that you you knew you'd need because his timing was so perfect. Like he it, it wasn't even a thing that he'd he'd learned or he'd picked up. He was just naturally he he would just naturally slot him, himself and his dialogue into mm. the appropriate moments to make all the conversation feel more real, more natural. Like and as though you you just watching people interact rather than a scripted show. And you can see a lot of other subsequent performers in so i wrote down three names mm. that i was getting strong vibes of mel smith paul merton particularly there's a bit where he says something like isn't it marvelous which was paul yes. merton's catchphrase in his sketch in his sketch show that he did in the 90s it was one of hancock's phrases in the radio show isn't it marvelous? right and stone me what a life 
things, <laughs> things like that. Just uh, yeah. I think I think Paul Merton was heavily influenced by Tony Hancock. I think so because he ended up doing the Galton and Simpson scripts, didn't he? Yeah. I think in the nineties, early two thousands, he was. Did, did they reproduce Lost episodes? Yes, they have done. Mm, with Paul Merton playing Tony Hancock's role, and also uh, Rick Mail in Bottom, who I've I've often thought as being like the psychedelic Tony Hancock. He has that sort of. <laughs> he is a bit, yeah. <laughs> that really kind of. Uh, downtrodden kind of and he often like when he's not doing the rick male voice he he would he will do like a very tony inflected style of speaking there's some genuinely sick people in here who need attention yeah i think you're one of them missus <laughs> a week next friday so this is it is it this is the land fit for heroes I hurt my leg in the Falklands conflict for this, did I? Yeah, it's just immensely watchable just seeing this man doing nothing bored out of his mind doing absolutely nothing getting himself settled into his new home, blowing smoke rings and poking his finger through them, <laughs> <laughs> doing an impression of Noel Coward, burning his lip. <laughs> Just absolutely nothing happened in this. Absolutely nothing happened. <laughs> nothing at all, which is really good. And the writers, Galton and Simpson, must have had an immense faith in him. that Because they did. I can't imagine what the script would have read like. Somebody reading the script without knowing who Tony Hancock was would have read the script and thought, what, what is this? There's no jokes. <laughs> not fun. It's just the dialogue isn't particularly funny. The things he does aren't particularly funny. But it's just the way he does them and the way he says them. Absolutely. Is that loose? <laughs> or is it my fingers going in and out? <laughs> I forget that scene too. Not a bad set of choppers though, really. There's a good few bites left in them. But all your girlfriends have said, now don't tell a lie, all your girlfriends have said you've got lovely teeth. Tone, they've said. Tone. <laughs> you've got a lovely set of teeth. Oh, there's no sugar decay there. Which one's the bicuspid? I've been wanting to know that for years. Bicuspid. It's a funny word, that, isn't it? Bicuspid. Bicuspid. <laughs> bicuspid. By cuspid, he's a handsome fellow, Sir John. Oh, la. Have at you, sir. He starts playing with his teeth and he goes, oh, is that loose or is it just my fingers going in and out? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that funny? It's I not know. funny, but it's hilarious. Because <laughs> you know what he means. Yes. And I don't even know. I don't even know if that was like in the script or if at some point they just said to him, "Do you know what? We're just going to put you in a room." There must have been moments that he just made stuff up off the top of his head. Like the the bicuspid bit couldn't was obviously was obviously scripted, but stuff like uh, "There's enough here to keep emergency ward ten going for a fortnight." That. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I, I loved the part when he was reading and he went through a load of different books and then he picked up the Bertrand Russell book and he had a massive dictionary next to him. Yes. And every other word, he'd be like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember laughing at that. I also wrote down the title of one of the books, uh, which I think is quite a famous one, Lady Don't Fall Backwards. Yes. Which appealed to me. Yeah, that's uh, a good title. It is... Also, the title of uh, Joan LeMessurier's autobiography, Joan LeMessurier, the second wife of John, who had an affair with Tony Hancock towards the end of his life. She named her, her autobiography that as a nod to Tony. I don't think it was because of this episode. I think it was because of an episode of Hancock's Half Hour called The Missing Page. And looking into it, I think it's also uh, acted as a song title for Pete Doherty as well. Oh, well. There you go. So the closest we get to a plot in this is the fact that uh, somebody rings the house. It's actually not a wrong number. She rings up for the previous tenant and he's just moved in and she doesn't realise that the previous tenant's moved out. Uh, she wants to meet up with him. I can't remember his name. I didn't write that down. Fred. Fred, that's right. She wants to meet up with Fred. But Fred isn't there. So Tony capitalises on the chance and uh, they agree to meet up instead and go to a, gi a gin and cider party, which sounds excellent. I mean. Yeah. It's, it sounds I like would. the average night in with us, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, not so much cider. Probably not so much gin, maybe cheap bourbon. Yes. <laughs> it's what we do, it's who we are. Yeah. Yeah, substitute 
gin for bourbon and cider for bourbon and you've got one of our parties. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. But yes, Tony is so excited about his date. He can't even wait for it. He's just... And he loves himself. He's like, check me out. I'm beautiful. I'm going to... I'm going to get myself ready. I'm going to wear I'm going to wear my jeans. I'm in medallion. <laughs> he scrubs up all right, doesn't he? he I, yeah. When he's in his black silk shirt and he's changed out of that awful ratty cardigan or whatever it is he's wearing, his jumper. Mm. He looks all right. Hey, look, you know how I feel about Tony Hancock. I think he's beautiful. You know how I feel about a short grumpy man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was short. He's certainly He's grumpy. He was about five foot six. He was tiny. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, don't tell him I said that. <laughs> <laughs> he's only 35 in this. He's an old 35. He's a pretty old 35. And I think what's interesting about this episode in particular as well is that we're so used to the format of sitcom jokes and the way that jokes play out. And this has what appears... Or what seems like it's going to be a sitcom joke that turns out not to be a sitcom joke. And this happens a few times, but the first time I noted it down is the point where... So he decides to get ready, and the camera is focused, I think, on the shave. He's having a shave, and the, the camera is focused on the shaving kit, and it pans slowly up to his face. And you're expecting to see him, like, with all the little bits of tissue paper stuck to his face where he's cut himself, or some kind of gag... But no, there's no gag. No. It's quite interesting. And there's another couple of moments later on where he's he's got the TV aerial and he's trying to get a picture on the TV and he's hanging out the window and he kind of closes the window. Then he goes out of the door to the apartment, out into the corridor, onto the landing. And all of these times you say he's going to fall out the window, he's going to get locked out of his flat. It doesn't happen. Neither of those things happen, no. No, I found it quite refreshing. It was, yeah, it was good. A lot of the humour just comes from his presence, his physical presence in the space. They're not even following the jokes through. It's just... No, they don't need Tony to. Tony is funny. Tony is here. Tony is funny. That's enough. And it works. It's it's very, very watchable. I don't think any other comedy actor or comedian would have been able to do that episode. No, I don't think so. Like, if, if it was uh, Harry Seacombe, for example, who I do think is... is like I said, is, is closest in persona. Something about the energy, because they are very, very, obviously very, very different personalities. Yeah, I think, but I think you're right. I think in, in, in terms of physicality and, and presence, they are similar. But you can imagine he would be mugging to the camera, he'd be blowing raspberries, he'd be going, and all the, yes. he'd be doing all the, the um, Harry Seacombe affectations, and, or if it was Spike Milligan, or anyone from the, possibly, um, probably the only other person I could think of who could do it would be Eric Sykes, maybe. It would be different, but I could imagine him being doing quite a naturalistic... Again, it wouldn't be... Wouldn't be it, the same. It just wouldn't be the same. It just wouldn't... I think he'd be more performative, wouldn't he? It just comes down to the fact that Tony was just a really, really funny guy. Uh, he was very grumpy, but he was very funny with it. And I think it, possibly his grumpiness lent to his humour. Yes, I think as so. As well, because the things that happen, like his, his date being cancelled and the picture on the television not being perfect until he left the room and started shutting the door like all all of these tiny tiny inconveniences his reactions to them all make the fact that nothing's really happening so much funnier yes because you just you're just waiting for him to pop <laughs> and and he doesn't he kind of just about manages to keep a lid on it and that's that's the funny thing it wouldn't work if he was essentially cheerful and optimistic would it it really wouldn't it really it wouldn't be funny at all somebody with a sunny disposition yeah it would be nonsense it wouldn't work at all no it wouldn't so yeah so he we have the middle section of the episode has the plot of kind of what what passes a plot is of of him getting a date with Joyce getting ready for his date with Joyce and in a modern sitcom or a different sitcom he would somehow ruin his chance to go on a date yeah. with Joyce. But in fact, what happens here? He didn't. He didn't. He never meets Joyce. She just rings up and says, oh, I've got hold of Fred after all, so I'm going to go with Fred. And that's it. That's, so there's no hubris of him ruining everything. No. It just gets cancelled. So it, is, it makes it a lot more believable and a lot more a thing that people can identify with it just being this kind of boring evening that he's having. I liked his reaction to to a cancel in it because the, the, he brought back the dictionary gag when uh, he was saying, I'm just not a very gregarious person. Just not a gregarious person, that's all. <laughs> gregarious. 
Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> yes, gregarious. Fund the company to herd together. No, don't worry about me. There's something on the third programme I want to listen to anyway. A talk on Etruscan vases. <laughs> he, he decided that, you know, she wasn't the girl for him after all. She sounded like a right old crone. Uh, who wears leopard skin tights <laughs> the anyway? The flesh pots of West London have been deprived of another victim. Eve <laughs> yes. has proffered the apple and Adam has slung it right back at her. <laughs> like, you know, really don't hold back tone. <laughs> I really loved that. And, and that he decided straight away that he was just going to carry on bettering himself because to waste one second of one's life it's a betrayal of oneself. I wonder what's on television. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and again, nothing happens. Nothing happens, yeah. It ends where it begins with him. He, he spends literally three seconds attempting to read the book and immediately puts it down and blows smoke rings and pokes his finger through them again. So it, the whole thing goes full circle, which is rather yeah, nice. Yeah, it is probably the, the, only, the only plotless episode of, of anything that, has, that works this well. Mm. And it's purposely plotless like there are a lot there are a lot of things that try to have a plot and then the plot just ends up not working at all but this <laughs> yes. is purposely no we don't want anything to happen thanks and i think because it's so different to pretty much any other episode of a sitcom it is unique in in its style and in also in the fact that it's just a you know, a one-man episode. I think mm. that's what makes it so special and makes it so funny because it's so different. There's certainly an episode of Bottom where they're stuck on a big wheel. They're stuck at the very top of a big wheel and it's just them in the big wheel car. And that's the entire episode is them stranded 50 feet in the air. Yeah. So you can see that, you can see all the people who were enormous fans of this, like, oh, we've got to do an episode of The Bedsitter. We can do our version of The Bedsitter. What can we, where can we confine the entire action to? Yeah. So that was the bedsitter, and once we'd finished watching that, we moved on to the Bowmans. And this has a plot, so would you like to share with with the group what the plot was? So this is about Tony Hancock, the character, who is an actor in The Bowmans, which is a, ra a radio soap opera about simple rural folk. I wonder what it could be based on. I have no on. idea. It's, it sounds so different to any other radio soap opera. <laughs> it's mysterious. So one thing I didn't quite understand from watching these three episodes was whether Tony was playing the same character in all of them, because in The Bedsitter and The Blood Donor, there's no mention of him being an actor. Is he essentially playing Tony Hancock, the comedy actor, in this whole series? I think he is still playing the Aloysius character from from Hancock's Half Hour, because the, there were episodes of Hancock's Half Hour where he wasn't in a show or trying to find a job. And I think probably The Bedsitter and The Blood Donor and The Radio Ham were examples of, of that. I'm not an expert by any means in the show, but I get that it is just a continuation of the Aloysius character and there's just and there's no mention of him being an actor in The Bedsitter and The Blood Donor because nobody asks him. He's playing a very popular yokel character in this uh, Archer's surrogate, yes. shall we say. Old Joshua Merriweather. And he clearly is seething with contempt for both the show and his fellow actors. Yes. And he doesn't take it seriously at all. He overacts atrociously, bordering on sabotage. I got mangled whistles in me garden. I got mangled whistles in me shed. I got mangled whistles in me bathroom and a mangled whistle for a head. Get down, get down there. Get down, you black-hearted creature. Get down, I say. Get down, I'll fetch me a stick across you. He has, he has a particular hatred for the dog. Yes, the, it's Peter Glaze from Crackerjack <laughs> who's playing the dog, essentially playing Percy Thrower. And yes, they loathe each other. But everyone hates Tony Hancock in this because he's he is just ruining it for everyone. He's being incredibly spoiled. But his character is, is very popular, so it's gone right to his head. Yes. But they get so sick of him that he's eventually fired from the show. And he says, I don't care. I'm going on to greater things. I'm I'm the star of this. They're only tuning in for me. So he swans off. 
to find a better career for himself, but it doesn't quite go to plan. No, it doesn't. Or does it? Or does it? Well, this is the episode I didn't enjoy quite so much. Oh! But it was interesting because it was a it was an inversion of the normal sitcom story arc. So in most sitcoms of this type, you have the, the small guy who's got ambition above his station and he sees a way to achieve his ambition and you can see that he's there's a chance that he might actually get there and he might actually break out of this life that he loathes and achieve his ambition. But at the last minute, either his own personality or, if it's Steptoe and Son, his dad, gets in his way, brings a whole lot crashing down, and he returns to his horrible, miserable life, full of regret, and the audience leave going, huh, that was fun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but this is an inversion of that. So it starts with a very successful man who gets really big for his boots to the point where he torpe he inadvertently torpedoes his own career. He hits rock bottom and then through no striving and struggling of his own, he is suddenly hoist back up into the limelight, given his own, essentially his own show, so the Bowman's is renamed after him. Yes. He becomes an absolute megalomaniac, kills off all the other characters so that the cast have to be fired, and that's where it ends. Yes. So he... <laughs> He, he doesn't learn anything. He behaves abysmally. He learns nothing. So, And by the end of it, he's worse than he was when he started it. And he's, his terrible behaviour is, is rewarded. That is absolutely right. <laughs> and I think that's why I quite couldn't. I, I wanted him... To, I was just so desperate for him to get his comeuppance. And I think the payoff of the fact that he ended up getting the show to himself and getting everyone else fired, and that was the end... And I was expecting like a coda where the show would fail because actually it was an ensemble and it well, he's not the most important person. He might be the most popular, but it t takes everyone to make the show. But it doesn't. It, it ends with him oh, getting everyone fired <laughs> and that's it. He's won. So it's a strange episode. It is a strange episode, but there are things in it that just absolutely slay me, which is why it's one of my favourites. When he's being fired, I always giggle because... Even though he doesn't like any of any of his fellow actors, he particularly doesn't like the dog. Yes, um, and he says, "If you want to econ economize, have him put to sleep." <laughs> <laughs> to which the reply comes, "I'm not just the dog; I'm the whole farmyard." Move. <laughs> and, and that just yeah that that gets me that gets me every time, and then. Because obviously he, it, Tony is such a spoiled brat in this episode and they've made it very clear that, you know, it's it's him that's the problem. Mm. He decides to turn his blame onto the writers. The writers make me unsympathetic. Last week I kicked the dog three times. Well, that wasn't in the script. I know, but he asked for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like he just really, he really doesn't care. And I think that's probably one of the things that I love most about the Aloysius character is that honestly just you can't you can't really guess what he's going to say next because it always is the most outrageous thing and he just doesn't care that he's saying it because he can't stand anybody <laughs> well one of the notes i made was i wrote tony is being the egomaniac i suspect he probably was and i was wondering if this is golden and simpson like they're they are satirizing their star essentially i don't i don't know i think he probably had a bit of a tendency that way, but also he was very he was very nervous. Mm. He, he was he was terribly terribly shy, and I think that's in no small way uh, contributed to his alcoholism. Only being able to feel able to do things, and I think often people can compensate for their own awkwardness by inadvertently being obnoxious a lot of the time. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I don't know a great deal about about Tony Hancock's private life. I know he, he butted heads with quite a few people. But by the same token, I've also heard lots of nice things about him. He's, I just think it depended who you were and what time you got him at. Spike Milligan said that he could be very difficult. Spike Milligan said this. Spike <laughs> Milligan said this. Yeah. But again, Spike, I think Spike Milligan also had his, also had a lot of moments where he was 
not as you'd expect because everybody expected Spike Milligan to be a very grumpy and very obnoxious and he wasn't always no he could be very kind as well couldn't he yeah in fact I think probably the if Spike and Tony didn't get on together I think it may just have been because they were too similar I think could well be yeah he did admit that sometimes Galton and Simpson would take things that he'd said and they'd end up in a script so yeah there's probably a bit of that but like massively 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 exaggerated I don't think he was nearly as <laughs> he was nearly as Aloysius <laughs> my favorite part of this episode is the very beginning where because I, I went into it not knowing what the situation was at all I didn't know that his character was an actor or anything like that so it starts right with the episode of the Bowman's playing out with the rest of the cast, but he's sitting off to one side, just watching them perform. And I wasn't sure if he's like a member of the public who'd been invited in to spectate, but he is rolling his eyes mm. and smirking derisively at this this drama that's playing out. And it was just really funny because it's, there's nothing at all funny in this, this, the script of The Bowmans is played entirely straight. So it sounds like an actual radio soap opera. Yeah. But... It's just his facial expressions are hilarious. Meanwhile, back at Brook Farm, Dan Bowman has his troubles too. Well, those blasted crows are certainly taking all the seed out of this field, George. Ah, you were right there, Gopper. <sighs> if we don't get a decent crop out of this field, we won't have any winter feeding for the cows. That's true. All oh, this farming life, if it's not one thing, it's another. Ah, yes. Well, it's no good standing here complaining about it. There's work to be done. Dan, I've brought your sandwiches and your flask. And then when it's his cue... He brings out the Mangelwurzel song. <laughs> yes. I, I can see both sides of it because the actors there are just doing their job and they're being professional. But at the same time, they are these very kind of plummy, rather RP type actors who are playing West Country yokels, essentially. Yes. So I think he is wanting to puncture this stuffiness. And these rather pompous actors, but he is being worse than them. My favourite part of this episode, without any doubt, are the Grimsby Pilchers adverts. <laughs> yes. Just, they are all genius. What has he got that other men haven't? Yes, Grimsby Pilchers, sought after by ladies of quality since 1811. Grimsby Pilchards, tuppence off for a trial offer. Aside from the Pilchards advert, his, his audition for Hamlet, when uh, he starts doing the soliloquy from Romeo and Juliet and they stop him, they say, that's that's the wrong play, this is, this is for Hamlet. And he says... Hamlet, is it? I was distinctly told the Merchant of Venice. I... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, and it, it goes back to, back to what we were saying about the bedsitter episode. Probably nobody else could could have made a line that ridiculous that funny because even though it is funny and he played it funny he played it funny but with a straight face Anthony Aloysius Hancock genuinely believes that he's the smartest person in the room and the most talented and he doesn't think there's anything wrong with what he said absolutely yeah which is just it's just a gift <laughs> yes he's quite oblivious to his own faults which I think is is part of that British sitcom archetype, isn't it? Like Martin Bryce in Ever Decreasing Circles as well. That They believe, not only do they believe they're right, but they can't see their own faults. They're completely unaware of what's wrong with them and what they have to do in order to break out of their situation. Mm. To them, they're just normal. And it's like, I'm normal. I'm doing everything right. Yeah, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, why is this always failing? Except in this episode where it doesn't. But yes, just generally. It doesn't fail in this episode because... After the sales plummet for Grimsby Pilchards, for men. <laughs> Grimsby Pilchards for men, that's good. The postman turns up at Tony's door with a sackload of mail and then tells him off for dying. <laughs> <laughs> at first, Tony doesn't understand what's going on, but there has been massive uproar about the fact that Joshua Merriweather's died to the extent that the BBC ask for a meeting and uh, they ask him to go back. Patrick Cargill is great because he's quite grovelly in this scene. Yes. Um, he's like, I think you're really going to like this, <laughs> Tony. <laughs> um, Tony's just like, it all sounds absolutely marvellous, except for the fact I'm not doing it. Until you agree to his terms, 
which are £10,000 a year, a five-year contract. He writes his own scripts and he gets a free radio lesson. (laughs) (laughs) I loved a bit earlier on when he gets paid by the producer in an envelope like it's his paper round. Yes. (laughs) It's so sweet. There's a lovely little example of of just 60s TV production that happens in here, or like how rushed mm. and how live it all was filmed. The bit where they're showing the sales chart and it's a close-up of a, of a hand drawing the graph of the sales chart in a downward motion. And on the way down, the crayon breaks. Yes. But they just have to keep doing it anyway. <laughs> they didn't do a take <laughs> two, and this is clearly not part of the comedy. This is clearly just... But an it act- does add to it. it. It adds to it, but it's clearly not intended. But they just have <laughs> to... Pl- they can't go do a take two on somebody drawing a graph. Yes, we totally meant to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I going to get another crayon from now? <laughs> so I did enjoy this episode. I mean, I don't want to say that I hated this episode or anything like that. I think it's just my innate sense of justice and fair play was was mm. rather perturbed by the ending <laughs> just the fact that he was rewarded for his terrible awful behavior yeah no i can un- i can understand that um although to be fair the rest of the cast were particularly they, they weren't they weren't particularly nice people so. they were a bit snooty but i think they were snooty because they were so sort of ground down by how obnoxious he was this is my justification for it anyway i think they would be quite friendly towards someone who was nicer but I, I think he'd earned their snootiness. That, that was the Bowmans. That was the Bowmans. And the final episode that we watched... The big one. ...was The Blood Donor. Um, please, could you let us know the premise of that episode? This episode is about Tony wanting to do something altruistic, so he decides to donate blood. Yes. And that's the entire premise. And I think this is possibly one that's so well known that most people would be broadly aware of at least some of it. Two lines or two parts in particular have trickled down into popular consciousness. The drink a pint of milk a day. Drink, drink a, a pint, pint of milk, milk a day. day. Drink a pint of milk a day. Drink a pint of milk a day. <laughs> but uh, more than that, a pint? That's nearly a whole armful. Yes. Which even people who aren't familiar with Hancock or have never seen an episode of Hancock would surely have heard at some point somebody say, a pint? That's nearly a whole armful. I am quite sure. And although it does still make me laugh, even 958 billion times later. It's one of those lines like, I'm playing all the right notes. But not necessarily in the right order. Yes, it's like no matter how many times I see that line delivered, I will always laugh. Yeah. And I do love that line, but the line, one or two lines before it, when he, he gives the little sample of blood to get the blood type, then he decides to go off for his tea and biscuits. And Patrick Cargill's like, we still need your blood. And Tony Hancock says, well, you've had it. And Patrick Cargill says, no, that that was just a smear. And Tony goes, it may be just a smear to you, mate, but it's life and death to some poor <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh Yeah, it gets me. <laughs> so the... F- first person we see in this is june whitfield lovely june whitfield it's always a delight to see june whitfield yes she always makes the screen so much happier she's not a beatnik in this one one of the other episodes i saw a clip of she's she's playing a beatnik and uh... she she's playing a beatnik who looks remarkably like sue perkins yes that's true Ooh. but she she rather suits it she rather suits the look but in this one she's playing the the, the nurse who is supervising the waiting room. And I found Tony much more tolerable and funny just when he's being a regular schmo and not when he's being a famous actor. And also in the first and third episodes, there are moments when he's just sort of amusing himself. He's so funny when he does nothing. The bit where he was testing his reflex (laughs) and then panicked when he tried to take his pulse and he couldn't find it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then that huge sigh of relief when he finally found it. <laughs> oh, thank God I'm not dead. <laughs> oh, yes, this is where we find out he's 35. So yes, uh, June Whitfield asks him his age and he's very awkward, shy and reticent about giving his age. And I, I was expecting 50, the, the amount of awkwardness there was. I know. 35? Shall, That's hardly anything. Shall we say 12th of May? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
he's showing off by being really right wing. Yes, which is just not a thing that anybody would do these days. <laughs> this is a thing I, I wrote down that his jingoism is quite sinister in 2021. Nationality? Ah, you've got nothing to worry about there. It's the blood you're thinking about, isn't it? British! British undiluted for 12 generations! 100% Anglo-Saxon with perhaps just a dash of Viking. Nothing else has crept in, no? Anybody who gets any of this will have nothing to complain about. There's aristocracy in there, you know. You want to watch who you're giving it to. It's like motor oil. It doesn't mix, if you get my name. Mr Hancock, when a blood transfusion is being given, the family background is of no consequence. Come now, surely you don't expect me to believe that. I mean, after all, East is East, really. And blood is blood all over the world, Mr Hancock. It is classified by groups and not by accidents of birth. I did not come here for a lecture on communism, young lady. <laughs> I happen to be a conservative. Then kindly behave like one, madam. It is, it is. Um, it, it does have a bit of a different connotation. It does. It does, especially with the way he talks about foreigners and that. His blood's British and you want to watch who you give it to. It was very well combated by the nurses' responses, which was, you know, blood is blood all over the world and we're only really interested in blood types. If his attitude hadn't been checked, it would have been a very, very awkward moment that wouldn't have... Yeah, it it would not have aged at all. We only had our own rocket, I could have been the first one up there. <laughs> I've been named down for the blue streak, but no, we missed our chance again. It's not right having these, not right having these foreigners hurtling round up there. You mark my words. Mr. These... Hancock. Eh? Oh. Blood. Yes, I beg your pardon. Get carried away over things like that. It's a sore point with me. She says, I happen to be a conservative. And he says, then kindly behave like one, Matt. <laughs> yes, that <was> <laughs> The fact that she's not sounding all bigoted. That's some very modern writing there. Yeah, so it shows that actually, you know, 60 years later, literally, so it's exactly 60 years later, things don't change that much. They do not. There's a great bit where he's reading a list of diseases and you don't see what the diseases are that he's reading, but you can just tell from his facial expressions. <laughs> and you can almost see exactly what diseases they are from just, <laughs> just his expressions. And eventually he says, no, I have not, and especially not that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can see why this is the classic because it has all it has all the best lines in it has so many it zingers. really does it re- it's the most quotable i think even more than the other two we watched it's just yeah it's so definitely many. you know have you given blood before given no spilt yes <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know i don't know what golden simpson had had for their lunch that day when they were writing this script. They were on fire. They were absolutely cooking on gas. Just, there were zingers left, right and (laughs) centre. It was amazing. Even when uh, he was trying to make small talk with June Whitfield after Captain Peacock and the lady had gone in to give blood. Frank Thornton we have, yeah. And uh, he he refers to uh, nurses as humping great trolley loads of mince (laughs) <laughs> Who would even think of that? But it was—it's just such such a funny turn of phrase. His timing is absolutely spot on as well. Like he nails every gag. Yeah, he really does. It was such a good partnership between the three of them, and it, it's a real shame that Tony decided that he wanted. Yeah, his ego got the better of him. I think it, it did. It did. It did a little bit. Yeah. So this is actually this is a, a rare sitcom that has a rep company where the the supporting players play different characters each episode so we have uh, the second appearance of Hugh Lloyd here as well and the second appearance of Patrick Cargill as the doctor Hugh Lloyd especially he was in an awful lot of the tv series of Hancock's Half Hour not so much the radio show I don't think because that was largely Tony and Sid James Kenneth Williams Hattie Jakes and Bill Kerr so but I don't know if Hugh Lloyd was ever any of the incidental characters in any episodes and people who are massively into Hancock's Half Hour will will write in and say I wrote down another three there's another few lines here another three lines here that I really made me laugh sorry I'm not walking around with an empty arm for anybody (laughs) (laughs) yes Rhesus they're monkeys aren't they (laughs) oh I didn't come here to be insulted by a legalised vampire (laughs) and then when he's talking to Hugh Lloyd and he's Obviously, he's showing off about his medical knowledge and uh, Hugh Lloyd says, 
are you a doctor then? He says, no, not really. <laughs> as if, <laughs> not like, really. I didn't as if being a doctor is something that you can be sort of like degrees of. <laughs> and I, in that, I mean, that was just an amazing conversation, again, full of zingers. When they're, they're talking about the advancements in in medical science, Tony goes, oh, yes, I was glad to see the back of those leeches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, weren't we all? <laughs> and then, they, and, and because they're both kind of, in the end, start trying to out outsmart each other, um, they just end up saying random platitudes like no man is, is an island and necessity is the mother of invention <laughs> and it just it means nothing and then Hugh Lloyd nicks his wine gums his wine gums that's right and Tony is so indignant that a fellow blood donor could have stolen his wine gums and he just can't comprehend this a nice man that what a very nice man very intelligent good conversationist <laughs> kind of above the type you meet down at the pub a very nice man. He's walked off with my wine gun. <laughs> I only broke him open for him. Oh, what's the use? If you can't trust blood donors, who can you trust? I think it's worth just quickly nipping back, speaking of his views on blood donation, uh, to his conversation with Captain Peacock when he's, he wants to know if you get a badge for donating blood i mean you probably do get a badge these days i don't know then when captain peacock's all like uh no of course you don't get a badge um tony's like i just think you should get a badge that's all i mean you know nothing too pretentious just a little motto like he gave it for others so that others may live <laughs> the coughs and sneezes spread diseases thing i can't hear the german national anthem without Singing that. Coughs and sneezes, spread diseases. <laughs> Drop the junk in your handkerchief. Coughs and sneezes, spread diseases. He's quite a good illustration of a personality type who he's clearly lonely and just wants to talk to people and he wants to be liked, but he doesn't know how not to be a self centered bore. Both spellings yes. of the word. And if he was just himself and acted naturally and had a nice conversation with people and asked them about themselves in a genuine way then people would like him and they'd want to be friends with him but because he just overdoes it and tries too hard and ends up showing off people avoid him and it's quite sad really you do sort of meet people a bit like that hopefully i'm not one of them i don't think you are hopefully not no at this point in proceedings when i was watching the episode <laughs> I hadn't had my dinner yet and I began to find out quite how squeamish I am. Uh, yes. That I started to get really wobbly. Yes, because I, rem I remember getting a text message to this effect. I'm not universally squeamish. I can watch horror films fine, usually, mostly, but it's just Hugh and Tony's conversation about blood. And I think specifically when he started saying, like, if you didn't, if you didn't have a heart, it wouldn't circulate and it'd end up sloshing about in your legs like Wellington boots full of water. I was like, oh, I'm feeling really weird now. I'm going. Wow. I'm going. <laughs> and I have had to leave a first aid class before for the same reason. Like, oh, I'm going. Wow. Yeah, it, it, a large part of it was that I hadn't had my dinner yet. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. So I ended up not watching the rest of the episode because <laughs> I couldn't cope. That's So you still haven't seen the rest of the episode? So I still didn't watch the rest of the episode. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, OK, do you want me to tell you what happened? I hear it's very good, though. <laughs> the, the next scene, uh, he calls the hospital to see if anybody has had his blood yet because this is a very rare blood type, you know. It's AB negative. There aren't many of them. He calls quite regularly and the doctor gets annoyed with him and then Tony gets annoyed with the doctor and says, I'm going to call tomorrow and the day after that and every single day until my blood is being used. And I need to know that it's going to the right kind of person. Yes, no riffraff. Yes. And um, then he is in a temper and he goes off into the kitchen and picks up a knife and starts slicing some bread. And the next thing you know, he's on his way to hospital. So you know what happens. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have liked that. <laughs> he's hurt himself. He needs a blood transfusion. Um, there is only one pint of AB negative in stock. <laughs> and guess whose it is? He gets his own blood back. He gets his own blood back. And Patrick... Cargill comes out with, with this pint of blood and sees Tony and goes, oh, no, it's not here. 
and and Tony's Tony's final line, which I think is brilliant, is at least I know it's going to the right sort of person. Bang it in, I'm getting dizzy. <laughs> I know. Brilliant. I loved it. They 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 were the three episodes, so I get to ask you the questions now. Mm-hmm. And I know we've kind of discussed which your least favourite episode was, but which was your favourite episode? Ah, that's a tricky one. Because I didn't have a funny turn during the bed sitter. So that it has it has points for that. But I think actually the blood donor just for how packed it was with zingers. And I really like a good zinger. It was zingatastic. So, so I think despite everything, I'm going for the blood donor. And that's a cop-out because it's... That's like saying your favourite Monty Python sketch is the parrot sketch. I mean, how mainstream am I? My favourite Monty Python sketch is the Spanish Inquisition. So that, uh, That's quite I'm mainstream, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic for a reason. Because it's hilarious. Exactly. So don't worry about that. I'm middle brow and fiercely proud of it. That's right. Gosh darn it. Who were your favourite and least favourite characters? Favourite characters were Ordinary Tony. Least favourite character was famous actor Tony. Right. Fair enough. So Tony in The Blood Donor and The Bedsitter were my favourite character and Tony in The Bowmans was my least favourite character. Fair enough. I'll buy that. And the final question. I think I might know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Would you watch more? Absolutely. Fantastic. That's really all I need to know from you. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for sitting yourself through an hour and a half, through Hancock's hour and a half (laughs) for me. I really appreciate it. You're more than Um, welcome. And thank you to everybody for tuning in and listening to our latest episode. It's been lovely to record again. It's been great to be back. I've missed the listeners and I've missed I've missed my Adam uh, and it's really really nice to be back if you would like to get in touch with us at any point uh, you can do that you can follow us on Twitter we are at retro underscore tube and if you don't really want to follow us on Twitter because you don't social media you can always email us if you like our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com we're always very very happy to hear from you and we're pretty damn good at replying next week is going to be adam's choice of tv show and uh what delights have you got in store for us next week adam here's a clue transmute so yeah that's that's all from me and uh have you got anything else that you'd like to say isn't it marvelous <laughs>